Welcome to our podcast, Microbes in Us, brought to you by the Federation of European Microbiological Societies. I am Joseph. And I am Eleni. And, and we, we are, are the hosts of Microbes in Us. This podcast brings together the people that work tirelessly to uncover and understand the microbial world, its secrets, its complexity, and its vibrancy. And it will show us how microbes can shape, break, and make our human world. From prehistoric times, all the way to the modern world around us. We hope you enjoy and share this podcast. Welcome to the podcast, listeners. And I'm joined today by Professor Emeritus Kenneth Timmis from the Technical University of Braunschweig in Germany, who's just been awarded our most prestigious prize, the FEMS Lawoff Award for Achievements in Microbiology. I'm very happy to have him here today to talk to us about his award and his research, also about his upcoming prize lecture at the FEMS 2023 conference in Hamburg this July. Can you talk me through the work that you performed to win this award? Hello, Joe, and um, thank you very much for your congratulations. And of course, I'm very grateful to FEMS for selecting me for this uh, very prestigious award. So before I go into describing some of the, uh, the work that you're asking about, I'd like to say uh, that I've been extraordinarily lucky in having the good fortune to have been blessed with an absolutely amazing group of brilliant young microbiologists uh, over uh, my career who generously shared their careers with me. And in addition to that, I've had an incredibly supportive family, Joan, my wife, and James, my son, and before that, my mother, whose encouragement and involvement, even for what must have seemed crazy projects, never wavered. So to answer your question, so the group's always been very interdisciplinary and highly cooperative. So we've been active in a number of different topics, always keeping an eye open for advances in different areas in which our expertise could bring new insights. So the common thread has always been molecular genetics in order to make advances through establishing causal relationships on one hand and metabolic design on the other to explore applications. So our microbiology research playground has mostly been the environment, both polluted environments and the human body. So let me give a very brief bird's eye overview of some of the highlights that I think are worth mentioning. So my postdoc years were at Stanford, uh, where gene cloning had just been developed. And I believe that uh, my friend Felipe Cabello and I were the first to use gene cloning, not to ask the question, what genes can be cloned, which was rather prevalent in those days, rather how we could use gene cloning as an investigative tool to answer major current questions. So to give an example, something that occupied us in those days was how is uh, the initiation of plasmid replication and copy number controlled? So we were able to use gene cloning in various ways to resolve the two major conflicting theories of uh, plasmid replication initiation. And then the question, what is the minimum number of functions needed to replicate the plasmid? So what is the minimal replicon? And this led to the creation of minimal plasmid replicons that opened up the field of cloning vector development. So one of the cloning vectors that we developed, Microbacterian in particular was active in that, was a broad host range, a vector that could transfer genes around many different types of organisms. And I believe that was the most uh, widely used vector in the field for a long time. 
And Victor de Lorenzo then carried on from this and developed non-antibiotic resistance selective markers because antibiotic resistance was always considered to be a major compromise factor for gene cloning and gene cloning vectors. And so he developed the first non-antibiotic resistance selective markers and then went on to develop these brilliant mini transposon cloning vectors, which were the go-to cloning vectors for a very long time, still are in some laboratories, and which were the forerunners of the, the SEBA vectors, which are currently in use. So with an arsenal of genetic tools and great collaborations, we branched out into environmental microbiology and biotechnology. And I believe we were one of the first groups who pioneered the cloning and characterization of entire metabolic pathways. So one of these was for the O antigen lipopolysaccharide of Shigella, which had not been cloned before, had not been analyzed in detail before. And this enabled us to develop a very precise, and I should say that this antigen is the major protective antigen in immunity against shigellosis. So this allowed us to create uh, very precise vaccines or vaccine candidates. We also cloned a number of surface proteins of Stokoks pyogenes, such as M-protein and fibronectin binding proteins. And together with the Sing Chatwell, we could establish causalities between these proteins and their functions in infection. Previously, one only had correlations between these proteins and suspected functions. But the main area of activity of our group was degradation of organic environmental pollutants. And uh, here there were many heroes, too many to mention, though Shige Harayama, uh, Juan Luis Ramos, who was a previous LWOF awardee, Victor Lorenzo and Fernando Rojo were the major players. So what these people did was to pull apart complex metabolic pathways and then repurpose the bits and stitch them together and thereby create new pathways with new functions. So this was a very exciting creating new activities in environmental microbes. One of the main cellular chassis for this type of work was Pseudomonas putida KT2440, which we had developed earlier. This has, in the meantime, become a major chassis for uh, synthetic uh, microbiology. And the reason is it is very robust and it's very tolerant of all manner of uh, organic chemicals, which are highly stressful to other microbes that might be suitable as synthetic microbiology chassis. So the last thing I want to mention was that Mikhail Yakimov, uh, some years later, discovered a hitherto unknown group of hydrocarbon-degrading marine microbes exemplified by alcanivorax that are responsible for the removal of oil in marine systems. So when there's an oil spill, alcanivorax and its uh, friends come to the rescue, and uh, there are obviously a very major uh, environmental significance. Since retiring in 2011, my attention turned to the interface of microbiology and society, and I continue to write about various aspects of this as exemplified by the recent editorial, Weaponizing Microbes for Peace, published in Microbial Biotechnology recently. So you also had a paper that was well received about how we can encourage microbiology literacy amongst the global population. And obviously, this is a podcast centered on microbiologists and people working within academia. So I wondered if you could give some tips to our audience about how can we encourage microbiology literacy in the wider world? There's an awful lot going on at the moment. There's um, an impressive amount of microbiology outreach activity already in schools and on the web. But of course, my primary concern is this uh, International Microbiology Literacy Initiative. And as far as that is concerned, we have hundreds of microbiologists worldwide involved in creating the educational resources. 
I want to emphasize that the IMALI is not concerned with providing knowledge in microbiology, but rather providing knowledge and understanding of societally relevant microbiology. The other thing is that um, there are a number of polycrises which are facing humanity, and there are lots of reports on these individual crises that make up the polycrises, and uh, there are always suggestions for solutions and roadmaps and, and all that stuff. But there's rarely a mention of the next generation. Rarely is education discussed as part of the solution. Education in topics like uh, sustainability, uh, microbiology, and so on. To give you an example, the highly influential O'Neill report on antimicrobial resistance failed to mention education of children as part of the solution tomorrow. So I really think that since, since children are part of the solution for tomorrow's problems, we really need to make organizations and their committees aware of the need to consider the longer term future and the need to equip the future generations with basic knowledge and understanding that they will need in order to handle the problems, not only the problems that we face today, but also the problems that we are creating today, which they will inherit. So it's useful knowledge to people outside of microbiology rather than just like a diktat of information. Exactly. In terms of that, um, as I say, we have hundreds of microbiologists worldwide creating these resources. This might actually be the largest collective educational activity of microbiologists ever. And what it's doing is to create materials for lessons, okay, the outlines of knowledge that can be delivered by teachers in lessons. The big handicap with microbes, of course, is their lack of visibility. So we, we have a lot of uh, effort going into visualizing microbes. And this includes microbial portraits. It includes protocols for class experiments where the kids can get physically involved with the microbes, also suggestions for class excursions and so on. These are things that are being created, but uh, obviously we need a lot of help in this. And so uh, when you ask what can the community do to help, well, certainly to contribute to the Emily and to uh, help us create both the resources that it needs, but also to promote it, to promote it in local schools at all levels, uh, in local schools, educational authorities, government, international organizations and business. Another thing that we need to do is, because it's international, we must have local promotion, local representation, local support. So what, what we're trying to do is to create regional centers, and these centers will adapt the resources to the local culture, to uh, get resources translated into local languages, and to interface with the, with the teachers and so on to help them and support them. The first of these centers was created by Rup Lal in New Delhi recently, and I think he will talk about that in his presentation in the uh, Education Group Symposium. But we need to have these centers established all over the world. So this is another source of support that we are vigorously seeking at the moment. Okay, so if you're listening and you're in a region which doesn't have one of these centers, then I hope People feel encouraged to get in contact with us, either via me or to you, to inquire about potentially helping to set up local kind of resource distribution and adaptation centers then. That would be great. I wanted to pick up on your point about the other paper that you have recently published, which you sent to me on weaponizing microbes for peace. And I found that's a really, you know, lovely in-depth look into what are the causes of conflict across the world and, you know, what microbial technologies exist or are on the periphery or the fringes of um, our development for addressing these issues. You know, it's quite a wide scope as a paper, but I wondered if you could just give us an indication of some of the already existing technologies which you think are most applicable for helping create peaceful conditions. 
Okay, so the basis of that paper was really that there are major deficits in what people might consider to be the common goods, basic services that humanity can expect to have, such as clean water, such as sanitation, such as access to healthcare, and so on and so on. These deficits will obviously create stresses, and some of these stresses might get translated into, into conflict. So the idea was if we can remove these stresses and provide a decent standard of living for all communities on the world, then we would reduce the potential for conflict. Clean water, obviously, microbiology does that uh, routinely in all places where we have clean water. So we, we just simply need to invest in transferring uh, the, the clean water technology to all parts of the world. So this is a microbiological process primarily. Sanitation is primarily a, a microbiological process. And again, it's a well-established technology, uh, wastewater treatment and the rest of it. Then we have clean air, uh, obviously with biofilters and the rest of it that can be bolted on to air systems, uh, we can, again, make a contribution there. So microbes can help clean air. This is something I was not aware of at all. I mean, I think we all know that like microbial solutions to water treatment and sanitation exist, but I did not know they could clean out the air pollution. Is this in, in urban environments or is it quite a widespread of use? They're bolt-on uh, technologies to, to factories that are producing. Okay, so at the source of the pollution. Source of the pollution, but also, of course, there are now technologies to remove carbon dioxide from, from off-gases. So again, point sources, but uh, removing CO2, and ultimately, of course, you can produce useful things from that CO2. So it seems to me that encouraging microbiology literacy and finding solutions for standards of living and health and, you know, reducing the potential for conflict kind of go hand in hand. And as we can help disseminate knowledge and familiarity with microbiology and the microbial technologies, we can also probably help to spread use of this in scenarios that will improve people's standards of living. So it is a very fascinating range of things you're working on here. I think there's another element, and that is that, of course, the more people interact with one another internationally, the more there is common understanding and less sort of othering of peoples. The International uh, Microbiology Literacy Initiative is an international organization, and it aims to actually create networks of people at all kinds of levels, but especially at the level of the children with all the things that we're trying to mount as citizen science. And so citizen science is something that, first of all, will excite the kids. But secondly, it's one of these things that it runs via social media. So I think if we can get children from all nations involved in interacting with one another on microbiology projects, then that is a third element of creating better understanding among people. Amazing. Okay, so from you know your work on gene editing and cloning to microbial literacy to weaponizing microbe technologies for peace... That's a huge range of things. And obviously, as our FEMS Loof Award winner, you get to give the prize lecture at FEMS 2023 in Hamburg this July. So out of all of those many topics, do you know yet what information and research you'll be sharing with us? I suspect it'll be very similar to our discussion today. So I've been asked to summarize the work that uh, the group has done that was considered by the FEMS committee in awarding the Loof Prize. So I'll briefly cover the items that I've discussed with you, but I'll focus mostly on the International Microbiology Literacy Initiative. Okay, wonderful. And yeah, we cannot wait to see your prize lecture in Hamburg. But I want to ask, what are you most looking forward to about a big conference? It's the first Congress we've had since obviously we had to shut down a lot of events during the, the COVID era. So it's the first kind of reconnection of all the European microbiology community. So I wanted to know, are there any speakers or events 
that you're looking forward to seeing or is it just the drinks with students and uh, young scientists after all the presentations? I'll be interested in everything, in fact, because I'm a sort of jack of all trades, master of none. So because I'm always on the lookout for topics of interest that I think will either be societally relevant or be exciting to children, I should be interested in all things. And in addition, of course, I'll be trying to make contact with people who flag up issues that I think can be relevant and try to tap them on the shoulder to contribute to the, the Emily. And of course, I should be looking forward to the Education Group Symposium. There's 10 main topics at FEMS 2023. So there's a huge range of general microbiology. I wondered if you'd had time to look at any of the other plenary speakers and if any of them have piqued your interest at this point in time. Well, again, most of them, you know, but of course, uh, I know Rita Colwell very well, and uh, she's contributed to a number of things that I've been involved in. So it'll be a pleasure to listen to her. She always has this wonderful broad overview of, of microbiology and the world. She was a pioneer in this whole topic of pathogen ecology, where you have microbes circulating in the environment that go up and down according to the success of the, uh, the growing season for the oak trees and uh, the acorns and the feeding on the acorns of the deer and the the transmission of Lyme disease from the deer to humans, ultimately. And this kind of breadth and interconnectedness, this is one of the things that we stress in the Emily that everything's interconnected. So we must not view problems in isolation, but we must see where they all lead before we start to think about what solutions may be appropriate. I wanted to ask you actually about that kind of self-description as a jack of all trades, because I mean, I think in modern science, there can often be a a kind of pressure that you have to get your specialism really sorted and find like a niche in the research field that you own or can really dive headfirst into as deep as you can. So how do you take a diverse range of interests and, you know, not, not feeling like a master of anyone and help go through a career without having to sort of overly specialize too early? Well, I think uh, I mentioned before, we had a core set of skills and experimental approach, which was uh, molecular genetics. This core set of skills can be applied to anything. So this allows us to wander freely in, in reality. The problem is when you wander into another topic, you don't really have mastery of it. So you're dependent, very dependent upon other people to provide that mastery. But that also is a pleasure. It's also mm -hmm. a question of learning other languages. You know, the language of the of the bioinformatician is quite different from the language of the taxonomist. And that's very different from the language of the genomics person. So there are barriers, but I think you know we all try hard to find ways of explaining. And that then brings out, I think, quite new insights and reciprocally, you know. And of course, all of these specialisms will be at FEMS 2023. So if you're out there listening and you want to touch with a specialist in a different research area, there's going to be a lovely congress of all these different kind of research types. And if you're listening, we hope to see you in July in Hamburg at the congress. Kenneth will be here giving his prize lecture for the FEMS Lewoff Award, as will many other awesome speakers. I just wanted to thank you, Kenneth, for your time today and for taking me through a whole range of research interests and giving your best advice to our young scientists. And I look forward to seeing you in person in, uh, in Hamburg. Thank you very much. And I look forward to it too.